The following podcast was previously recorded on February 17th, 2021. In this podcast is our vicar at the time, Vicar Eric Sauer, and our director of parish music, Paul Heiser. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Listen to my prayer, O God. Do not ignore my plea. Hear me and answer me. Evening, morning, and noon. I cry out in distress, and he hears my voice. Cast your cares on the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous fall. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. So our epistle reading on Sunday, uh, for the the first Sunday in Lent, um, comes to us from James chapter 1. there's not a whole lot of, James doesn't appear that often in the lectionary. I didn't go to look, but it's, it's not super prevalent. No, and it's not just our lectionary, is it? Uh, I, yeah, I don't believe it, it appears much in the other lectionaries. But again, I didn't, I didn't look, but... Because I, I recall that uh, James, James is a book that Luther struggled a little bit with. Correct. It was, was not one of his favorite, yes, favorite he, books. He went back and forth on... Um, whether it should be included in Scripture, uh, whether um, James was teaching consistent with how Paul teaches in his epistles. Um, so people like to um, kind of cherry-pick a, a quote from Luther from uh, 1522, so pretty early, um, that uh, he called it an epistle of straw, um, that it was just, you know, it, it was not worthy of, of the Holy Writ um, and so people like to, to jump on that and say, oh, Luther, you know, didn't like this and, and all sorts of things. But if you look at his later writings, he does kind of come around to it. Um, he actually uh, uses it in the large catechism. Um, I don't remember which, which portion. Um, so he, he did come around to it um, as, you know, as we mature, we kind of get a greater understanding of things and kind of temper some of our fiery rhetoric. <laughs> and that would make sense that as a young man, maybe, you know, he questioned the wisdom of the early church fathers for including it in the canon of Scripture. Mm-hmm. Well, and particularly what, what, struggle, what he struggled with is in um, chapter 2, where James is talking about um, faith without works. And, uh, I mean, in 1522, he's still in the thick of all the the writings and the controversy with the the Roman Catholic Church and trying to say that no our our our, our justification has nothing to do with our good works um, it's faith alone and so there's this kind of back and forth but if you actually dig into what James is saying he's kind of critiquing um, someone who would have a um, a not full understanding of faith and so he's he's trying to show that with faith comes good works. And so it's not to say that, that our, our faith is, uh, and our justification is dependent on our good works, but they are the, the outflowing um, that comes from our faith. So Luther's in the, in the midst of all the, the writing and controversy and, and the heat of the battle, and so he says these things about, about the epistle of James, um, and he's kind of stuck with that, that label for the rest of his life, even though we see development later in his writings. And at, and at that stage of Luther's life, I mean, he was 
very zealous and probably mm. was just craving the, the clarity that he, that he found with Paul's writings, mm -hmm. and, and that's why James didn't quite measure up. Right, and yeah. all of a sudden he's presented with something that seems at the surface to be a contradiction, which we know isn't possible in the Holy Scriptures. Um, so it's, it's a wrestling, just like we have to continue to wrestle with it and say, no, this is not contrary to what Paul is teaching. It is in concord. Um, you just have to, to kind of see what the full argument is that, that James is using. So our reading um, is the uh, verses 12 to 18 from James chapter 1. So Paul, would you read uh, 12 to 15, please? Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Thank you. So James here um, is James, the brother of Jesus, uh, not um, the apostle or one of Jesus' disciples, James. Um, this is his brother uh, who, throughout the Gospels, we actually see, I don't think by name, um, but James and his siblings... Um, are not entirely on the same page with Jesus and his ministry. They're um, kind of doubting some of what he says, and um, uh, there's a couple of moments where uh, they come to kind of some almost heated language of, you know, uh, where um, they're like, hey, you know, we're your family, and Jesus says, you know, you're not my family. My family is all those who believe. And, um, and so it's, there's some tenuous moments in, in that family dynamic um, I suppose it can't be easy having a perfect brother. Uh, <laughs> you can never blame him for anything growing up. Um, but yeah, so there, there's a little bit of conflict uh, during Jesus' ministry between his, his siblings and himself. Yet, come the resurrection, uh, the crucifixion and the resurrection, we see that, that James then does believe, uh, and his brother Jude as well. Um, and James becomes uh, the first bishop uh, in Jerusalem, kind of the, the head of the Christian church there in Jerusalem. Um, and so he's a, a vital figure in the early church. Um, he kind of oversees the first council where uh, the, the church is dealing with the question of uh, Gentile believers and how to, to integrate them into the faith. And so James is the one overseeing that, um, very heavily involved in, in all that's going on in, in the early church. And this letter is written to uh, the dispersion, the diaspora, those Jews who have been kind of scattered throughout the Mediterranean world, um, they're not local to Israel anymore. Um, they've been, been flung far and wide. Uh, and so it's to these groups that, that he's writing. So he draws in a lot of Old Testament imagery, because obviously that's a, a very familiar shared language that they'd um, be able to, to talk about. So he, he wrote this at the time he was leading the church in Jerusalem. Is is that is that I current? I think so. Which would I make would have sense to because games, then yeah. then then the the church, at least that early church, already at that point viewed Jerusalem as the, the mm -hmm. epicenter of of, mm -hmm. of Christianity. And so, because he was in that important post, he 
felt he had the authority to. Mm -hmm. to uh, yeah, and, and this is kind of roughly uh, the same time period as, as Paul's doing his missionary journeys and, and writing um, his epistles. Uh, the Lutheran Study Bible dates this to roughly uh, 50 A.D., so still right in the, the heat of things only uh, roughly 20 years after uh, Christ's uh, death and resurrection. Uh, so it's, it's very much still the early days of the church as, as he does this writing. So he's talking about um, testing and trials. Um, it's not a part of our reading, but the, the, the letter begins... Um, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And so he's, he's writing to these people, talking about, about trials and testing, and how they differ from temptation. Um, he very clearly states, you know, God tempts, uh, God doesn't tempt anyone. Um, I this, I think, is one of a couple places where Luther's drawing on um, for the, the sixth petition in the Lord's Prayer. God tempts no one. Um, but yet we know that we face trials and uh, testing. And so kind of unpacking what they are and, and how they are both kind of related and differ. Um, and so when we look at, at testing and trials, the point is to always deepen our faith. It's to return us to God, to return us to the scriptures, um, to confess our sins, receive forgiveness, um, and to, to continually be coming back to the word. That's the purpose of, of testing and trials. It's, it's, it's building our faith. Um, kind of the analogy that, that works perfectly for this is uh, a blacksmith, right? He's got to heat up the metal to an a incredibly hot temperature and then just pounds on it with a hammer on the anvil. Um, and in that process, he's, he's tempering it and uh, making it stronger, uh, even though he's, you know, beating it up uh, and it's, it's going through an intense process. It is for the, the strengthening of the, the blade or, or whatever he's making. And so this is how we, we look at testing and trials as Christians. They are, they are ways that God um, uses the, the world and the things that happen to us to draw us closer to himself. Now, temptation, on the other hand, is always the work of Satan. Uh, temptation is continually trying to draw us away from God, uh, away from his, his mercy. Um, and so, in the moment, it might be difficult to, dis uh, to be able to see whether something is a, a trial and testing or a temptation. Um, there are some examples that are, are pretty clear. Oh, this is this is temptation, um, explicitly trying to to cause us to sin, to fall away from Christ. Um, but some things are are kind of gray and and could go either way. And so it's only when we we pass through that um, time of either trial or temptation that we we can really see clearly that oh, okay, this was God um, working to to bring us closer to him, or this was Satan trying to, to harm our faith. Um, thanks be to God that, that he has preserved us uh, through this temptation um, or the trial. Uh, and without getting too far ahead, because I know you want to bring that up later, how it relates to the other readings for Sunday, mm -hmm. um, 
we, we see some good examples of there of the difference between testing and temptation. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I guess we can talk about it now <laughs> if you want. <laughs> um, well, the Old Testament reading being the one about Abraham, which to me is, and I think a lot of people, it's just the ultimate example of that. That's a, a mighty test. Yes, yes. That God said, be ready to sacrifice your, your, your son and only to have him spared at the very last second. Mm -hmm. that, that Abraham passed that test, that his faith was strong enough. God said, do this. He followed all his instructions. And then, and then it was shown that, uh, indeed, he had, he had uh, passed that test by following it to the letter. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and well, and it's interesting. I just literally thought of this. So in that James 2 passage that, that Luther struggled with, um, Abraham and, and the, the binding of Isaac, where he's told to sacrifice Isaac, uh, James uses that. Um, and that's one of the confusion moments uh, for most people is uh, James talks about Abraham is um, justified by... Uh, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? But he was already at that point justified because God had given him the faith um, when he made the covenant with him, I don't remember how many chapters prior to that, uh, but a good deal of time earlier. So he's already been justified. He's already been saved. Um, but now he's being tested to strengthen that faith. And that trial, that trial, that testing was not only for Abraham's own benefit, but anybody who knew Mm -hmm. This, what had happened mm -hmm. there, on the knowing mountain. the promise, no, knowing that, and the, and that, and that uh, we could be tested that that way, and um, and and honor God so much that you know we would be willing to do that, go mm -hmm. through that sacrifice. It was a, it was a moral lesson to anybody who knew of, of Abraham. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, and then the other reason reading for Sunday, the gospel reading, uh, is from Mark, and it's real short, uh, as is kind of Mark's purview sometimes. Uh, it's the baptism of Jesus, which is like two or three verses, and then, then the temptation of Jesus, another like two or three verses. Um, so there we see the flip side, right? This is Satan tempting Jesus uh, in the wilderness uh, as he's, you know, as Matthew and, and Luke unpack this more for us than Mark does. Um, you know, he's been fasting for, for this great period of time, 40 days and 40 nights, so he's got to be starving um it's i think semi-miraculous that he doesn't perish in that um that fasting um and yet is is sustained through that and so satan comes and tries to tempt christ and yet that is you know contrary to um to the purpose of, of why christ was there and i mean god can't sin so it's it's kind of a foolish attempt on satan's part Right, and the other the other clarity I get from that is is as you said before, um, God or it, it said right in James, God does not does not tempt. Mm -hmm. It's Satan that's doing the tempting, mm -hmm. and as, and as you pointed out, um, it's not a trial because we know that that uh, Christ's faith cannot be strengthened by trials. He's already he's mm -hmm. already perfect, mm -hmm. so there would be no need for for a trial like that. But mm -hmm. this is. Uh, this is a demonstration of, of what temptation means. Yeah, so it's interesting having those two readings paired with this, uh, I'm sure, quite intentionally. Um, and I think, 
uh, I was doing a little reading, um, and I don't think this is actually the readings that um, kind of the the three-year lectionary beyond what what we as LCMS Lutherans use, the, the revised common lectionary, because the LCMS is, has taken that three-year system um, that was developed, I believe, by the Roman Catholics I, I after Vatican II. I think it was Vatican II. Vatican II. Yeah. yeah. Um, so they, they established the three-year lectionary back in the, the 60s, and we've kind of made a couple modifications to it. And I think this is one of those spots, because as I was looking up um, in, a, in a, a book, uh, and it, it listed out what the, the three-year readings were, they were not these texts. So I don't know if that's definitely true, that, that this is one of those places where the, um, the, the folks who have worked on the, the lectionary for our church body have said, you know, we can make a, a greater connection with some texts here, um, and so change some things slightly. But it was, it was interesting to see. I, I don't remember now what those other texts were, um, but they were not... Uh, I think the gospel was the same, but it was not the, the Binding of Isaac and this James passage. I think the, the, the gospel is the more, the more extensive account of the, of the temptation. Mm. Yeah, I don't remember. <laughs> um, which question were we on? We kind of covered a bunch of these. Uh, so, temptation, uh, as um, James mentions here, uh, each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is fully conce- has conceived, gives, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth to death. So we see it almost as a series of dominoes falling, right? Um, desire, uh, a temptation, and alluring, and desire, and then that gives birth to sin, and of course the, the end result of sin is always death. Um, and so it's just like a series of dominoes falling, um, and we talked with, uh, I talked with my, my catechism students uh, as we were looking at kind of the, uh, an overview of the whole uh, Ten Commandments. Uh, you know, it's, it's, like, it's like all the commandments are dominoes set up, and when you break the Tenth and Ninth Commandments to talk about lust, that kind of inward thought of, uh, I desire something else, well, then that can lead to, you know, bearing false witness and stealing and committing adultery and it just kind of snowballs out of control into sin and that's what Satan wants, right? He wants us to get so far um, down this path that we think there is no hope, that there is no uh, forgiveness and yet we know through Christ that that there is continual forgiveness and restoration. Um, So yeah, Satan uses these temptations to to draw us farther away from, from God um, but testing and trials that come from God are always to, to build us up to strengthen our faith in him. So, Paul, would you read uh, the last couple of verses here, 16 to 18? Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Thank you. That's weird. It is a period. It almost sounds like it shouldn't be. Uh, <laughs> but, so James does not want us to be deceived, um, primarily about 
the difference between testing and trials and temptations, right? Don't be deceived. When you're going through trials, um, it's, it's God who's doing this to strengthen your faith. When you're going through temptations, that's not God. That's not from God. That's only from the king of lies. Um, so don't be deceived about the source of, of these difficulties um, because God is the source of every good gift and every perfect gift. Um, uh, I, I like the, the, the title, The Father of Lights. Um, you know, we, we associate light as kind of being a, a good thing, right? We need, we need light to survive. Um, and so he's the, the father of lights. Um, there is no variation or shadow due to change. Um, his, his steadfast love has been there from the beginning and continues to uh, abide with us and sustain us. Um, and so he gives us these good gifts uh, that in our reading, we get one of them referenced uh, in verse 18, um, uh, a new life. Uh, earlier in the chapter, he's referenced uh, wisdom and exaltation as also being being these good gifts from God. Um, and these are these are what he gives to us. It just dawned on me that, that in verse 17 that that's where this part of this verse from great is thy faithfulness comes from, where there is no, um, no um, shadow uh, of turning with thee. Mm. I thought, yeah, that's, that's exactly where it came from. And, and sure enough, the citation is there. there <laughs> it must be that's, that was the inspiration for it. And nice. it makes, makes perfect sense, faithfulness. Mm -hmm. I, I came all about faithfulness to yeah. cite this passage. Yes, that, that wonderful consistency of God who, um, who never changes. Um, he is uh, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Um, and, and so we have that, that solid comfort that God's not capricious and uh, doesn't act on a whim. He is, um, is sturdy and unmovable um, in showing his grace to us. So there's, there's amazing uh, comfort there. Uh, and then he describes us as uh, a kind of first fruits of uh, God's creatures. Um, we are the, the first fruits in that we have um, we have been restored by God uh, to live as his people. We are um, in Christ. I, I mean, Christ is the first fruits. It, it talks about that in his resurrection. Um, and yet we Christians share in that first fruits and are the, um, the kind of the best of the harvest um, that, that God uh, receives, um, which is maybe you could look at that in kind of a bad way and, and get a prideful arrogance to it, but it's also a recognition of um, God is the one doing these things. We're not, we're not offering ourselves as first fruits. He's the one who is, uh, who has created us into the first fruits of the harvest. Maybe another passage that, that Luther just went, oh, it just, it's, it's, it's just not clear enough. <laughs> yeah. So. Um, so it's a pretty short passage. Again, it ties in really nicely with the other readings. Um, and I know Pastor's going to be uh, talking a good bit about this in his sermon on Sunday. We were just, right before Bible study, we were, we were discussing that a little bit. Um, but yeah, that, that God tempts no one. Uh, and the, the comfort that comes from, from that knowledge. Right. And then just being surrounded by that 
the, the, the story of Abraham and Isaac and then, and then the temptation of Christ. Um, I looked it up quickly. Yeah, mm -hmm. it, the, 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 the A year of the readings, we're in the, we're in the B year of readings currently, but in the A year of readings we get the, the fuller account of Christ's temptation in, in Matthew, mm -hmm. which it, you'd expect Matthew is yep. year A. Longer, yep. longer, longer than Mark yep. typically, but it's, but it's still the, the temptation. But I believe that the, um, the Old Testament reading that's paired with that in the A year, and maybe this is what you were thinking of, is, is the creation reading, or a portion of the creation reading. Hmm. So it's, it's the temptation in the garden. Mm -hmm. So those two are paired together. Yeah. Which would then make sense if they don't use, uh, if that other thing didn't use the James reading, because then you've got two temptings rather than a tempting and a testing. So <laughs> Anyway. But that makes a good segue for the, um, for the hymn that I chose today, um, which is essentially a, um, a paraphrase of Psalm 91, which is the appointed psalm actually for the A year, mm. not for the year, the, the B year that we're in right now. And I think before we get into it, I think it would be useful if, um, if Vicar, if you wouldn't mind, why don't, why don't we read Psalm 91 um, why don't we read it um, whole verse by whole verse? Okay. And I think the benefit of doing that is is you clearly see how how uh, much this particular song relies on Psalm ninety one for its for its content. Sure. Do you want to go first, or shall I? Oh, I'll, I'll begin. All right. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of, of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day. Nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right side, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge. No evil shall be allowed to befall you, no plague come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. It makes perfect sense that this was the appointed psalm for this, this day. Mm -hmm. uh, Primarily because of um, uh, verse 11, yes. where it talks about he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your, all your ways. Right, because Satan uses this in the temptation. Yes, and, and, and I, I love those passages where, where there's these references to, um, to uh, the early scriptures, mm -hmm. and, and, and Satan was using them against Christ. But then there's many places in scripture, too, where, where Christ quotes the Psalms, mm -hmm. because that was their, um, those were the things that were on their hearts and their lips. They used them in temple worship, and so he knew 
he knew them very thoroughly. Mm -hmm. Well, and Satan knew, obviously, he would know that passage, so that's why, why he threw it out there. But, um, but that's uh, the tie-in is, is uh, with the, the angels, that the angels will be given charge over you. The song, um, if you haven't guessed already, is uh, On Eagle's Wings. If you have a hymnal uh, at hand and you would like to look it up, there it is, 727. Otherwise, it is re reprinted in the handout. And this um, particular hymn was written by uh, Michael Jonkus. Both the text and the tune were written by Michael Jonkus. And um, this was in one of his, this is during his student days. He, um, he uh, is, is known as a, as a, uh, a theologian but also his other uh, claim to fame is he wrote a lot of, of music in the, uh, for the, uh, the post-Vatican II church. After Vatican II, the church was, was um, casting about trying to, to find some vernacular, that is, um, um, pieces that are written in English, not in contrast to the, to the Latin Mass, mm -hmm. which was pre-Vatican II. Things that could be sung during the Mass um, uh, that were in, in the language, that our native languages. And so his contribution to that, among many things, he's written whole liturgies, whole settings of the Mass, other psalm settings, and, and pieces like this. Um, with, and this particular one, On Eagle's Wings, is probably one of the most widely known examples from that, that genre of music mm -hmm. it's, that we call, we, tend, we, we call it contemporary folk Hymnity, I think, for a lack of a of a better term, how how folksy it it, it actually is is maybe a, a matter of debate. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it doesn't sound like a lot of our other hymnities, so I suppose it does meet that criteria in that way. And I believe Michael Jonkus is a is a guitar player. Um, I've never heard him in concert or performance, so I, I it, you know if, if playing it with the guitar makes it makes it folksy, then I guess that <laughs> meets that. Although as I look at it, it uses. Um, uh, uh, the harmony uses a lot of the most common guitar chords, so that would not surprise me <laughs> at, at all. Um, but this, he, along with, um, I would say, um, well, there's, there's uh, David Haas and, and Marty Haugen are probably the, the three most well-known names um, from that particular period uh, that, that, that uh, uh, created this new new genre of music that was very widely used, and it's still widely used in, in Catholic parishes. And as it has turned out, has, has tr transcended those boundaries and has found its way into, into our hymnal. This is the only example of, of, of Michael Jonkus that's in our hymnal, but we have, we have pieces by, by Marty Haugen and uh, uh, almost had one by David Haas, but that one just ended up in the appendix. It was, hmm. It's the Blessed Are They. But oh, we, but we, sing, it, we, we yeah. sing it here, and, 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 and we know of it. So mm -hmm. it did, it did um, uh, uh, transplant to, to other uh, denominations. In reading the, the psalm, you'll be able to detect uh, a, a lot of the text of Psalm 91 in the verses. I think maybe we'll just, maybe just sing two verses when we actually sing it. Okay. But the refrain, um, and I don't know if you picked up on this while we were reading the psalm, um, did you did you catch a reference to eagles? Uh, the pinions and wings. Yeah, that's um, about as close as you get. There's, yeah. It doesn't mention eagles, um, but he ties that together very nicely with uh, a passage from Isaiah 40, mm -hmm. and and that passage is 
They who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. Yeah, it was one of our readings two weeks ago, three weeks ago. Was it, was it that recently? Or? I'm pretty sure. Uh, pretty sure I just read that. Yeah, <laughs> so, so, so it, it, um, it, uh, it ties in very, very nicely with that. Plus just the imagery of an eagle. People really, well, we have a banner that, that wonderfully illustrates that too. It's just the, 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 just the strength and sheer effortlessness that the eagle um, flies with, that, that um, um, through, through, through our faith that we are, we are strengthened in that way so we can become like that, like that image mm -hmm. uh, of, of the eagle. He wrote this on the occasion. He was inspired to write it uh, at the occasion of a friend's uh, father's funeral. A very unexpected uh, death, and um, he wrote it in a very short time. But he had also, during that same period of time, been been uh, reading and 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 praying, um, using Psalm 91 as an inspiration. So it it just spurred him on to to write this particular hymn, uh, gave him the occasion to do it, and um, as I say, wrote it in a very short amount of time for that particular occasion. So used for a funeral. Um, I can't begin to tell you how many times I've played this at funerals. I'm sure quite um, a bit. <laughs> especially in the years when I worked in a Catholic parish, it was a, yeah. a must-have. Mm -hmm. And when you, when you know that history about it, you realize, yeah, um, that's very understandable. And then when you dig into the text, you, you, you find a lot of comfort there with that, with that imagery that, uh, that you know, not as lost. We are, we are given that strength. And I think maybe just the, the, the imagery of the soaring eagle kind of fits with that. Um, you know, we are, we are soaring off to, to our heavenly home, uh, a different place. So with that in mind, um, if you don't mind, let's go ahead and <coughs> sing stanzas one and four. Um, but uh, let's begin with a refrain. And I say that because um, this, this song is, is rather difficult to sing just from a range standpoint. Correct. It is a very <laughs> wide range, ranking right up there with the Star Spangled Banner. I don't know if you've mm -hmm. ever heard that, too, that that's a good, good song to test your range with mm -hmm. because it has a very wide range. And you can get in trouble quite easily. If yeah, you, I, if I you cannot sing a low A. <laughs> okay, well then I will help fill that in for you. So my, my suggestion is, is that we start with the refrain. That will set us up for, um, unless we change key via, um, unintentionally, that'll set us up, I think, to sing the verses rather nicely. And I did right. bring my uh, pitch pipe app so that we get a good start with that, or at least a correct start. <laughs> One and four, you said, right? Mm-hmm. And he will raise you up on eagles' wings, bear you on the breath of dawn, make you to shine like the sun, and hold you in the palm of his hand. You who dwell in the shelter of the Lord, in whom I trust. 
eagle's wings. There you are, the breath of dawn, make you to shine like the sun, and hold you in the palm of his hand. For to his angels he's given a command, to guard you in all of your ways. Upon their hands they will bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. And he will raise you up on eagle's wings, bear you on the breath of dawn, make you to shine like the sun and hold you in the palm of his hand. I owe you an apology, Vicar, right. um, because um, having sung this, this so many times in its original version, um, <laughs> I, I I stick to the rhythms that the original composer wrote. This version that is reprinted out of our hymnal, it takes the verses and it, it tries to homogenize all the, all the rhythms together so that they're, they're the same. Mm -hmm. Well, not only the rhythms, but the melodic shape. Mm -hmm. So poor Vicar was, was trying to sing what's on the page in front of him, and I, and I, I applaud him for that. It, I, I, have a str I struggle not to sing the original <laughs> version the way the composer wrote it. Um, it's, mm -hmm. it's, hard to sh it's hard for me to shake that. Mm -hmm. I personally prefer that because I think it, it um, uh, accentuates the text in the way that he intended originally. Um, um, so I prefer that, that version of it. And, and in doing this with a congregation, um, it's, it's often done where a soloist will sing the, the verses so that you don't have this mm -hmm. problem. Mm -hmm. And then everybody joins in on the refrain. I know we've done it here that way. And um, I understand their reasoning for doing it this way. The, the editors of our hymnal um, uh, asked that it be um, treated in this way just to make it a little bit easier for congregational singing. Um, I'm sure also not to cast any aspersions on the, those who worked on the hymnal, but also to keep it to one page. <laughs> and, to keep it, and to keep it to one page. They were yeah, already struggling to get things. Very astute of you, yes. <laughs> it would have easily gone onto two pages um, had they done it the other way. Although I, I will note that in, in, in Catholic hymnals, um, they, they do think it's very worth the space to do it that way. And so um, uh, they reprint it with the original rhythms and, and, and melodic shape and all that. And um, in, in, uh, I also have to apologize to my to my dear friend Joe, um, who had a, a large hand in doing this arrangement, and, and, and you know. I didn't know that he did that one. Oh, he did, did, he did. Okay. And I have expressed to him my, my <laughs> frustration and disapproval with the end result, um, but he's taken it in very good humor that, that, um, that I'm would. not happy with, with what happened with this particular hymn. Yeah, he so, would. Um, that's, that's the maybe longer history of that that you did not want to know, but it also explains why Vicar and I were not exactly on the same page there with, or with, with stanza four. <laughs> <laughs> that's all right. Now, now you know. <laughs> yes. <clears throat> Let us continue. O oh Lord, 
have mercy upon us. O Christ, have mercy upon us. O Lord, have mercy upon us. Our Father, Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Blessed Lord Jesus Christ, at this hour you hung upon the cross, stretching out your loving arms to embrace the world in your death. Grant that all people of the earth may look to you and see their salvation. For your mercy's sake we pray. Amen. Please join us for worship this weekend. Our worship opportunities are at 8 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. on Sunday, and on Mondays at 6.30 p.m.